First John chapter 2. We'll be picking up there again this morning where we left off previously. <clears throat> we'll pick up in uh, verse 24. We'll, so 1 John 2 verses 24 through 28 will be our scripture this morning. So we've seen uh, three tests that John has laid out for this, these Christians. There was the moral test. Do they obey God? Do they love to obey God? There's the relational test. Do they love the brethren? How do they relate uh, one to another? And then last week we saw that doctrinal test. What do they do with Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? And by those tests, these diagnostic tests that he gives them, they can do this. They can identify false teachers and it gives them a, a, an examination, if you will, a test so they can look at their own hearts to see, do they truly love God? Do they love Christ in accordance with his word? And that brings us now to uh, verse 24. And we'll go through verse 28 this morning. Here is God's word. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, that you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true, and is no lie, just as it has been taught to you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Amen. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. So you can imagine the situation at this church. Uh, there have been false teachers. They're teaching all kinds of crazy thoughts, crazy doctrines, new ideas, confusing things. And so you can imagine a, a Christian saying, how, how am I going to stay on the path, path of God? How am I going to pursue righteousness? How am I going to keep on faithfully living for Christ? When these teachers are coming in and they're so smart, I mean, they know so much. And they're funny, and they're attractive, and they're so sincere in how they teach. They're so endearing to everyone. But they're talking about things that I don't understand. So, like, how am I supposed to abide in Christ? How am I supposed to persevere in the faith? And John's going to give them two basic points. Here's how. Here's how you can persevere. In a world that's filled with false teaching, it's filled with errors. These people are saying, my friends, my friends have already departed. They've left. They're stronger than I am. I thought they were stronger than I am. What means I'm not going to go off the rails? What means I'm going to be faithful? How am I supposed to do that? And he gives us two words of instruction. And there are two words that are needed, and we need them today. We know there are many evangelicals 
attested or professed evangelicals who do not believe in absolute truth. They do not believe in it. Now, we'd understand that if it was just like a secular viewpoint. People did not. But these are people who claim to be Bible-believing, Christ-exalting, gospel-loving Christians, and they say they don't believe in absolute truth. I want to say, from the beginning, that's an oxymoron. You cannot be a Bible-believing Christian and not believe in absolute truth. Today, the church is influenced by the thinking, the ideologies of the culture around it, and because of that, we can see how relevant what John is saying here in 1 John chapter 2, verses 24 to 28, how relevant that is for us. Because this Christian congregation in the first century, they're surrounded by false teachers, and, and many are being led astray. And so they needed some anchor points, if you will. Anchor points to stay and keep them on this path of righteousness. So likewise, we need these anchor points in our lives that will keep us steadfast and faithful to God in Christ. So John gives these two, two points, and they're just as useful for us today as it was for them. First point, verses 24 through 26, is the, we see the first point. Basically, it's this. If you're going to escape falling into error, you've got to abide in it. And we'll talk about what it is in a second. But if you're going to escape error, you have to abide in it. The second point, the second anchor, verses 27, 28, if you're going to escape error, you have to abide in him. And we'll talk about who the him is as well in just a minute. So among all the crazy assertions, all the different ideas, ideologies, all the different uh, faults that are attacking this church, here's how you stand fast. First off, if you're to escape error, abide in it. In it. If you're going to stay in the way of Jesus Christ, you, if you're going to stay in the way of fellowship with God through Jesus Christ, abide in it. Well, what's the it? It's the apostolic teaching. It's the scripture. It's the word of God. Verse 24, as for you, let it, uh, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. Well, what is it that they had heard from the beginning? They had heard the apostles' teaching. The Bible, truth, true truth. That which the apostles had learned from the Lord Jesus Christ, they had taught, passed on. This is the mark of the believers since Acts chapter 2, 42. Remember that? They continued steadfastly in fellowship, prayers, and the apostles' teaching. This is the mark. This is what they did. John says, look. If you want to make it through when all the world is telling you crazy things and you don't know if what they're saying is true or not, how are you going to make it through when you can't make it? At, like, it's overwhelming to you. You go back to the truth. Go back to what the apostles taught. Go back to what we have already taught you. Those things that you have heard from the beginning. And friends, we must do that very same thing. We live 2,000 years later, yeah. 
But that teaching, the apostles' teaching, we, we have it. We hold it in our hands. It's ours. John is saying, if you, Christian, if you're going to escape deadly error, live, grow in the sound teaching and learning of the scriptures. You abide in it. You don't depart from the scriptures. So, any of, when a, one of the elders preaches or teaches or uh, you're listening to someone on television or, what, or you're reading a book, whatever it is, everything comes under this. And everything's to be examined by this. You want to escape error? You cling to this. You abide in this. We're to dwell, dwell in the gospel, dwell in the original message of the apostles, the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints, Jude, verse 3. Now in their day, first century, they had false teachers. And these teachers come and right they're saying, oh, we know some secret teachings. We know teachings that, that uh, they'll revolutionize your Christian life. It's, it's deep, it's new. And John's response is, you need to go back to what you were first taught. Not something new. Go back to what you were first taught. Go back to the truth that was taught to you by the apostles. Those new things, not only are they wrong, they're deadly. John is concerned that Christians know the foundation, everything else flows from what God has given to us in the scriptures through the teaching of the apostles, apostles' doctrine. This is an anchor point. It'll keep us from falling. It will keep us from being blown about by every wind of doctrine, every fad, new fad that comes along. It circulates, not just in the world, but fads come and go in Christian cultures. You know some of those fads. You ever have a Bible code book? I hope not. But that was a fad for a while. Secret codes in the Bible. Blood moons, that was the fad for a while, right? These fads come and they go. Prayer of Jabez, that was the everything, right? You, everybody's, everybody's grandma had a prayer of Jabez hanging on the, but it comes and goes. All these fads come and go. Don't buy into the fads. Go back to the, the starting point. Go back to the anchor point, the truth of God in the scriptures. And he doesn't mean that we just know certain facts about the Old and New Testament. No, it's that this word is so ingrained in us. It's, he doesn't say this like, oh, yeah, you've got to be in the scriptures so that I can win all the Bible trivia games. That's not what he's talking about. It's so that when those crisis moments come in your life, crisis periods, you're going to know what's the biblical response. Because I've been in the scriptures, and, and, and I'm equipped to face this. I don't merely assent to truth, but I embrace the truth. It is God's word. It orders the ways that I respond when I encounter error or false teaching or crisis, or pressed, any pressure point in our lives. When you learn, when crisis comes, when you find out you've got cancer, 
and they say, can't do anything for you. You find out what someone believes in that moment. When, when your spouse walks out on you, when someone is unfaithful to you, or when a child dies, you find out what a person believes in these crisis moments in our lives. Or when you're tempted to pleasure and you're faced with this choice of either being faithful to God or indulging in that pleasure. We find out what people really believe. We see how we and what we believe by the way we respond in those kind of circumstances. It's a great index of what we really believe. And what's John say? Stay anchored in the truth. When all sorts of the uh, pressures come, when false teaching comes, when it's occurring, you need to be anchored in the truth of the apostles, those things that you've heard from the beginning. Don't just give assent to it, but embrace it. So when crisis comes, because you have embraced the truth personally, it radically changes the way you think about life and God and yourself and the world around you. It radically changes the way you face difficulties. Paul says it a little bit differently in Colossians 3.16, which I mentioned earlier. Colossians 3.16, remember what Paul says? He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And here's, here's how. Here's how you walk in accordance with the scriptures. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the apostolic message dwell in you richly. And that's why he says in Colossians 3, you should speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Why? Because we are encouraging each other all together to think of the truth, those apostolic truths, truths in accordance with the word of God when we do that. We're to abide in it. Well, how do you, just quickly, practical things, how do you abide in the truth? Well, first off, I'll just... This is a helpful thing, and I, since I mentioned it last week, I want to mention it again. Parents, teach your children faithful Christian standards and creeds, like the Apostles' Creed and Nicene Creed that we mentioned last week. Catechize your children. This is truth. Here are biblical truths. And you know what's beautiful about that? You teach them at a young age so that when later, when they do become believers... They've got a vocabulary to describe it. and They don't have to just say, well, God did this wild thing in my heart. No, they can tell you this is what's happened. I saw my sin for what it is, and I turned and repented, and I trusted Christ who's given me new life. Do that. Memorize Scripture. But parents, have your children memorizing Scripture. That's the easy part. Riley can memorize things, right? We know. Here's the hard part. Neil needs to be memorizing it. We all need to be memorizing Scripture. And not just for mental assent, but to embrace it, to hold it. For instance, there is fact, there's object, and we were reading a, a Joel Beakey this week, and he was very helpful talking about objective and subjective, both of these elements present. So, Objective truth. 
Christ. Do you believe in Christ? Do you believe he was born in a, of a virgin? Do you believe that he was crucified for your sin? Do you believe that he was raised on the third day to an indestructible life? Do you believe he is coming again to judge the living and the dead? Yes. But what about the subjective part? Do you believe he is altogether lovely? Do you believe those objective truths to see Jesus as utterly marvelous so that you could say with Peter, where else could I go than Jesus? Where else could I go to Christ? Do you know he's coming to judge the living and the dead? Do you know him to be fierce and righteous? It's one thing to give mental assent to it. It's another thing to say with the psalmist, kiss the sun, kiss the sun, lest he turn in his wrath and you perish in the way. Do you believe in the Father, the Creator, the Redeemer, all glorious, magnificent, robed in splendor, ineffable glory? Do you know your sin? It's one thing, right, to give mental assent to sin. We say, yeah, all sin comes short of the glory of God. Everybody believe that? Great. Here's what it is subjectively. Isaiah says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. See the difference? Both of those elements are needed. So when he says, abide in the truth, it's not just the facts. It's the embracing of the truth of God's word, the truth that the apostles taught, that taught you. That's your anchor point. So Abide in it. Second thing, abide in him. All right? So in verse 27, you see that. We're to abide in him. Now, who's the him? Well, as for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it is taught to you, you abide in him. So who's the, who, abide in him, who is that? Well, the Bible does say that we should abide in Jesus Christ. That is a biblical truth. Um, we see that in the New Testament. But here in verse 27, this imperative is not Christ. It's that the anointing, the spirit that has been given. The anointing, the indwelling. We saw this last week, right? Chapter 2, verse 20. The anointing, this is just language of the, the spirit. He comes, he regenerates our hearts. We, we, it's the Holy Spirit who comes and indwells the believer. And now... This is, so here's a direct consequence of what Jesus taught in John 14. He, he, he's talking to his disciples, remember? Verses 25 and 26, he says, These things I've spoken to you while abiding with you. So he's teaching them in the upper room. He's talking to them. He's instructing them because he's been with them. But then he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. 
and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So Jesus tells the disciples, the Father's going to send another teacher. And John's picking that up here in 1 John 2. The Father sends another teacher. Now, he's not saying this. Christians don't need teachers anymore. First off, if that's what he's saying, I need to get out of here. Uh, there should be no elders, no teachers, no Bible teachers, no, no, no pastors. Uh, you just do it on your own. That, that would be one. And I know that's not what he's saying because it's just the internal evidence here. This is self-evident. What is John doing? First John is a letter in which John is writing and teaching Christians. So he's not saying Christians don't ever need to be taught. So what's this mean? What is he saying? Well, these false teachers, they're coming into our, our, our church and they're saying things. They're saying we have the secret teaching. The apostles don't even know about this teaching. It'll revolutionize your life. And John's saying, well, there was a time when I sat with Jesus and Jesus said that the Father is going to send a teacher. And a teacher's going to live in them. And so, you got some secrets that I don't know about. Well, I'm indwelt by the teacher from, sent by God, the third person of the Trinity. Can you trump his teaching? Can you trump that? You, so you know some teachings that the, that the Holy Spirit doesn't even know about? That searches the deep things of God? Oh, I'd like to hear what that might be. Well, this is one of the fulfillments of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31. Remember that new covenant promise? that we would all know him from the greatest to the least and that we would be taught by God himself. And John's saying, in the coming of the Holy Spirit, the teacher himself, he dwells in us. It's not simply that God gives us truth and says, okay, now go and learn it the best you can. No, no, he gives you the truth, he gives you the word of God, and then he gives you another teacher, the Holy Spirit, to indwell and to illumine and to lead you and guide you and teach you into truth. So here's how you resist false teaching. First, go back to the word. Go back to the truth. When all those crazy new ideas come, you go to the truth. Go back to the things. Examine everything in light of what God tells us and instructs us in the scriptures. You go back to the core that we've learned, the Bible truths. Secondly, you rely on the Holy Spirit who indwells you, who abides in you. You abide in the Word, and you abide in the Spirit. If you want to escape deadly error, John says, you must live and grow in this Holy Spirit. You have to abide in Him. The anointing which you receive from Him abides in you. End of the verse, you abide in Him. Abide in the Holy Spirit. You know these two th things always go together? The Word and the Spirit always work together. Uh, Calvin in the Institutes has this great section uh, on the Holy Spirit. And he asked the question this, what's it mean to be filled with the Spirit? You, his answer is marvelous. It's not like your truck. You take your truck to Speedway, you fill it up for hundreds of dollars, drive around, couple weeks you got to go back maybe sooner than that 
Don't think of filled with the Spirit that way. As you are in the Word and soaking the Word up and memorizing it and hiding the truth of God's Word in your heart, this is being filled with the Spirit because that's what the Spirit uses to lead, to guide, to shape, to teach. These things always go in tandem. Abide in the Spirit. This is the logic that Paul lays out. The Spirit abides in us in order that we might abide in Him. So, what's that mean for us? What's it mean for us to abide in the Holy Spirit? For a room full of Baptists here, what does it mean for us to abide in the Spirit? What's it mean? Oh, Paul's language. Keep in step with the Spirit. To follow the guidance of the Spirit. First thing, rely on the Holy Spirit and rely on his influences in your life. Rely on them. What's the great struggle of sin in our world? The struggle of sin is when our desires yield themselves to the world and to the devil. It's the ongoing constant struggle in this life. Our sinful desires, the desire of the flesh, yields themselves to the influences of the world and of the devil. So what do you need to do, though, to grow in grace? Instead of yielding ourselves to the flesh and the world and the devil, you yield yourself to the influences of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is working. He, he brings the word of God to bear on our lives. He's going to influence us in the ways of grace. So think about the gifts of the Spirit or the, those graces of the Spirit that are meant to produce in us the fruit of the Spirit. Worldliness is produced by what? By yielding to the world, the flesh, the devil. In contrast to that, growing in Christ's likeness, abiding in Christ, abiding in the Spirit, it's when we purposefully yield ourselves to the influence of the Spirit, to His grace in our lives. First thing that means, first thing that means is this you're going to trust Jesus. You're going to be believing Jesus. John 14, 15, 16, Jesus says that when the Spirit comes, he's going to do what? Testify of me. That's the marker here. So if you, any uh, doctrine of the Holy Spirit that removes that emphasis of Christ as primary is not a biblical ministry or teaching. Anytime someone says, I have the Spirit... And they're taking you away from Christ and away from the scriptures. That's a false prophet. It's false teaching. Because the spirit always uses the scriptures and always leads us to Christ. And into a deeper relationship with Christ. So abide in the spirit. Yield to his influences in your life. It means embracing Jesus as savior. Uh, there is no embracing the New Testament Savior without embracing Christ. Don't say things like this. He's my Savior, but he's not my Lord. You can't divide Christ. He is Savior and Lord. You don't get part of Christ. You get all of Christ. It's who he is. The Spirit influences us. Embrace Jesus as Savior, as Lord. But you're always growing, right? In greater submission to him... Yes, 
That's called sanctification. The Spirit influences us, us to continue in the gospel, to continue to be nourished in and understanding the Word of God. The Spirit uh, produces in us a love, one for another, the community of the faith, the love that you have, one with another. It is the Spirit of God that produces that in our hearts. And John says that's the only kind of abiding that when the second coming happens in verse 28, you want to be, so you want to be unashamed when Jesus comes again? You abide in this. You abide in the Word and you abide in the Holy Spirit. And then you will not be ashamed when Jesus comes again. The Holy Spirit, it's his work, right, to form Christ in you. To do the work the Word of God is used by the Spirit of God to conform you into the image of Jesus. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. Here's Paul's prayer. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Verse 14. Uh, from, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So there's his petition. He prays that you, Christian, he prays that you would be strengthened in the innermost parts of your being. So in the inner man, you would be strengthened with power. By whom? By the spirit. And why? Look at verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So Paul, really, like, this is the final piece of the puzzle. Fits together, right? The Spirit abides in us. Why? So that Christ will abide in us. So that we will continue to abide in the Spirit and in Christ. The Spirit indwells us. And he indwells all believers. Not just super Christians. Not just a, a really, really great stage. It's not a later stage. Something you get later after your conversion. He indwells all believers. Why? So that Christ would be formed in our hearts. So that our hearts would be made fit in an appropriate home for the living God so that we would abide in him, that we'd rely on him, that we would depend on him, that we would yield ourselves to him. That's what he's trying to do. He's, he's trying to exalt Christ in our hearts and lead us back to the word. So that's John's formula. You abide in it, the apostles' teaching. You abide in him, the Holy Spirit, and when you do that, you navigate all those tricky little eddies and whirlpools and uh, dangerous swirls, every wind of doctrine that blows and maybe is really confusing or, or maybe, you know, they sound so smart, but it just doesn't sound right. You go back to the truth. You rely on the Spirit of God. That's what's going to keep you walking with Christ through your whole life. And that's what John's calling us to. And so, Christian, take comfort in that. Take comfort in those two anchor points. Use those two anchor points. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, this, is, this instruction to Christians is really helpful to you. Because 
if you want, if you would know Jesus savingly, if you would trust in Jesus savingly, here's how you do it. You go to it. You go to the scriptures. It's not how you feel that makes you right with God. It's what the Bible says. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Trust in the Lord. Repent and believe. That's the apostolic pattern. So the Bible, go to, go to it. Go to the Bible. See what it says about your sin and about the free offer of salvation in Christ. And then you ask. You ask the Holy Spirit. Open your eyes that you would understand who he is. Don't just read the Bible. Don't just go to it. But when you go to it, ask God, Lord, cause me to behold marvelous things when I come to it. God will hear that cry. And he will answer you. Let's pray, shall we? Oh, Lord, we need Jesus, and we need the real Jesus, the Jesus that's offered to us in the gospel. And so, Lord, we find him. Uh, how? By going to his word, by being taught uh, by the Holy Spirit, who always points us to him. The Holy Spirit, who is the comforter. and teacher, and guide. So, Lord, help us. As a congregation, help us to abide in it and in him and to come to know him. So that when Jesus comes, we will not be ashamed. So that this church, the, this congregation this assembly of saints would not be ashamed at Jesus' appearing. And Lord, for those who are not believers, may they feel the weight and the shame that they would know, like, if Jesus came today, I would, I would not be ready. I would be ashamed at his appearing. I only give mental assent to the word. I don't have God's spirit dwelling in me. I am a slave. I am, uh, I, I don't have Christ as my Lord and Savior. And Lord, and as they confess their sin and trust in the only remedy for our plight, would you save them even now in your great mercy? And we pray all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.